Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be here with all of you tonight. We have a really excellent show. I'm so excited about tonight's guests. We have two amazing guests, Senator Nina Turner and Amy Valella. We're going to get to them shortly, but I just want to give you guys some heads up. First of all, we are at, drumroll please, we are at 70,000 subs. We got 70,000 subs. So thank you all so much. We really appreciate it. We couldn't have gotten here without you. 70K, this is huge. Thank you so much. And everyone can subscribe to this channel and you just hit subscribe and then you hit the bell, like the stream, just give it a thumbs up, give it a like, give it a share. And if you can, you can of course become members of the YouTube channel you get emojis and badges and you can also become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And that gives you access to extended interviews and bonus interviews and lots of great stuff. And we're going to be dropping a great pre-recorded interview I did with None other than Susan Sarandon. So that you have that to look forward to, which is very exciting. So we have had quite a week. Last week, we learned that the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And what did Joe Biden do? Not much. He would not commit to calling for eliminating the filibuster to protect Roe v. Wade. Instead, he decided to take the time to, through his spokeswoman, condemn not the judges who made this decision, but the people protesting outside of judges' houses. We learned he did some other stuff. He decoupled COVID relief from funding the Ukraine proxy war, which is a very interesting thing to do. And we'll get to that more in depth in a bit. But those are some examples of the Democrats being pretty terrible. But tonight we have with us two women who have been part of the progressive wing of the party. They're fighting to actually make the Democrats redeemable. And one of them is, of course, Nina Turner, and the other one is Amy Valella. And I'll read you their bios uh, really briefly. You probably don't need to hear them, but just in case. In 2008, Nina Turner made history as the first African-American woman to serve as a state senator in Ohio's 25th district. She became a national surrogate for Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign and national co-chair for Bernie in 2020. She traveled coast to coast, building support for progressive values, such as a $15 living wage, free education from kindergarten through college and healthcare as a human right in the form of Medicare for All. She served as the president of the National Grassroots Political Organization, Our Revolution. And she ran twice for the congressional seat in Ohio's 11th district. So let me bring in SNT, as I call her, Senator Nina Turner. Welcome, Nina. Welcome, Senator Turner. Glad to be here with you, Katie. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. And we also have joining us Amy Valella, who grew up in poverty, relying on programs like WIC and SNAP in order to make ends meet as a single mother. She took classes at night while working multiple jobs to become the first in her family to earn a college degree. 
She became a national advocate for Medicare for All after her daughter, Shailene, died at the hands of our nation's profit-driven healthcare system. After working her way up to become a CFO, Amy has since retooled her professional experience to provide vital campaign services to other progressive candidates. In 2020, serving as a state co-chair, Amy led the charge for Bernie Sanders' landslide victory in the Nevada caucuses. And she's also run for the congressional seat in Nevada's first district. And she is currently running for that seat right now as we speak. So welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you guys both so much for joining us. Our pleasure. So I wanted to know, I mean, I just went through a couple of examples because we couldn't be here all night of the Democrats being very disappointing. I mean, Pelosi had said some interesting things about how much she misses the great Republican Party that cared about the environment and women's right to choose. Don't know where that one ever was. And I wanted to know what made you guys want to run and throw your hat in the ring and kind of subject yourselves to this pretty brutal process in a party that has a lot of issues, let's say, to be to be diplomatic. Well, you know, for me, um, what we're talking about are really life and death issues. I mean, that's very poignant for me. Um, and what I feel we need more in Congress are people with who understand the struggle and will take that lived experience with them when they go to Congress. You know, that's something I definitely have, know that that struggle is. I have that lived experience. And, you know, I'm ready to go and make sure that we continue the fight. Um, it's, you know, it's every single time we've, we've had to do important things in this country and fight for things. Um, nothing has come easy. And it's, it's, it's hard for those of us that are involved in it. It is a sacrifice. But we can't. The option is just to give up and to not do anything. And that, for me, is not an option. Um, knowing that people are still dying every single year in this country in the tens of thousands from a lack of health care alone. That's not even talking about all the other issues that we're facing. And we need to have this type of strong leadership in Congress that has this lived experience and is ready to fight for the working class, for all of us, because, you know, when it comes down to it, we deserve more. And, uh, and for me, that's the driving force is that we have to have People are willing to have the political will, the political courage, and willing to, to use up their political power to uh, fight for the working class. Yeah, amen to what Amy said, Katie. It really comes down to the have and the have more. So the haves and the have mores, have, have and have nots right now. And there are too many working class people, poor people, working class people who are suffering in this country and it's a systemic failure. And that is really what is important for folks to understand that the system of poverty is a policy choice. You name some issues that are going on in Congress right now or on, on the federal level right now. Let's go ahead and throw in the child tax credit, for example. Something that was a very good policy was implemented, then allowed to expire. So those same, what, 50% of children pulled out of poverty, and now they are catapulted right back into poverty because of the wanton neglect, the indifference that too many members of that Congress have for the everyday people of this nation who need this federal government to work on its behalf instead of the big money special special interest that it answers to. So why run is because people deserve more and people like Amy and myself and a few others have the courage to ask for more because the power structure does not hesitate to just give more to the ultra, ultra wealthy in this country, to the oligarchs in this country 
but yet meanwhile in hoods where people are misunderstood, whether those hoods are urban, rural, or suburban, we got to beg these same elected officials to do for those people. And the tax child tax credit is just one really great example. We can name others, but that one is staring us in the face. And it is one that I think most people in this country could agree that that was a good policy to implement. Amy, can you talk about your personal experience that made you turn to politics, the loss of your daughter, if you could just share with people how that shaped your view of the world and what you want to do with your life. Sure. That was the most uh, transformative experience I've ever had. You know, um, as I stated earlier, I never thought that I would be in politics. You know, I wasn't from the right degree. I, I was raised in poverty. I was a single mom. As you were saying early on, I was struggling. Um, and you know, I did put myself through college and at the moment, um, that I went through this experience, I thought that, you know, we had finally made it, that we were safe. Uh, I had remarried to my husband, uh, David, who's an immigrant from Brazil. We had a multicultural, multilingual family, and things looked to be like finally falling into place. And, you know, I realized that, you know, politics had to be for someone like me when my daughter, Shalin, died in 2015 at the hands of our nation's for-profit healthcare system. And, you know, Shalim, she was 22 years of old. She was uh, going to school to become a nurse. And she decided to move back home to complete her schooling. Uh, she drove 22 hours from Kansas City to Las Vegas. And upon arrival, she was exhibiting all of the signs and symptoms of a blood clot. Uh, Shalim was healing from a torn ligament in her knee. She was black. She had sickle cell trait. She had um, a red swollen leg and was on birth control. You know, everything I just mentioned is, they are just classic symptoms and risk factors for a blood clot. Well, eventually the pain began, the pain began so, so much that Shalin decided she needed to go to the emergency room. And immediately upon arriving at the emergency room, she was given what's called a wallet biopsy. You know, she was asked for her insurance so as to determine her ability to pay, which really drives the treatment that she would receive. And when she couldn't provide proof of insurance, they were telling her at the desk, you know, you can leave now. It's going to be really expensive. But Shalin insisted on staying because the pain was so great. And she was like, there's something really wrong with my leg. You know, I got a call from her uh, numerous times. But the one call that really stands out to me was when she was in the back and she was calling me crying. And she was saying, mommy, I'm begging for something for the pain. I'm asking you for some testing because I know there's something really wrong with my leg. And they've told me I need to go get insurance and see a specialist that they're not a doctor's office, you know. Um, and instead of giving her the, the necessary medical treatment, they essentially sent my daughter to her death. And uh, Shalin had to travel back to Kansas City to finalize paperwork for her schooling to begin. And uh, she uh, got on a plane which dislodged the blood clot in her leg. And she uh, was suffering from a massive pulmonary embolism. I can tell you when I arrived at the emergency room, the sight of my daughter uh, really jolted me. I knew at that point the, the gravity of the situation Shalin was in. She was intubated and hemorrhaging because of the massive uh, amounts of blood thinner being given to her. And we're talking about a 22-year-old. It took them 45 minutes to stabilize her. Um, and that was a really hard moment for me. You know, I remember as I was holding her, she was uh, dying in my arms, you know, thinking, you know, 
we did everything we're supposed to do. Why? How much more can we go through? And you know, the last thing I told her when, when she was dying was, you will not have died in vain. And we're talking about her death could have been avoided with a simple bedside ultrasound and a prescription of blood thinners. She wasn't even worth a couple thousand dollars. And we have seen that year after year, you know, that our status quo leadership is prioritizing corporations and big businesses over our lives. And, you know, the more I researched into this, the more I was looking into, you know, how many people are dying from lack of health care. And I realized that Schlin was on a one-off, like, you know, uh, she wasn't a one-off tragedy that this was happening to tens of thousands of Americans. I just, I could not believe what I was seeing. And um, this was happening about six months after Bernie's uh, announcement for running for president. And I remember my husband, you know, telling me, well, in Brazil, we have a thing called universal health care. And that hit home. I was like, what do you mean? It doesn't come from your job. And so, I mean, that was the beginning of the journey. And the more that I started hearing and putting all the pieces together and being a CFO, understanding what goes on in those boardrooms, understanding what the driving forces of corporations, it all started to fall into place to me. And I knew I could not go back and just continue on with life as if I hadn't seen the evil I had seen. I, that moment when Shalin died in my arms, that only me died with her. And I didn't know where it was going to lead. It led me to seeing Nina Turner <laughs> and driving me to get involved. Uh, it led me to running for office. And, you know, I've got the rest of my life to fight this. I, have, I mean, what am I going to do? Go somewhere and, and, uh, and relax and drink margaritas uh, as my daughter's in an urn? I think not. I'm going to continue on this fight. Um, I don't have the luxury to sit back and wait for the right time, the right, right circumstances. We got to fight this now. And we don't give up. We cannot tire out. When it's your loved one, when it's someone you care about, the number one is an enormous number. It's the biggest number in the world. And I know I can't save Shalin, but I'm going to save somebody else's loved one. I'm not going to stop until I get there. Yeah, amen. Katie, I just want to jump in on that. I know you got a few questions for me too, but that is what separates Amy from the person she's running against. That is what separate, separates Amy from many people, unfortunately, who are in that Congress today, that she actually uh, cares about uh, the people and, you know, living through, I mean, keeping her daughter's name and legacy a lot, creating a legacy actually for her daughter. She was only 22 years old. And we know that as parents, especially people who are parents who have joined us tonight, that really is out of the natural order of things. If, if mother nature works according to plan, it, the children, children will bury us and not the other way around. And the fact that Amy has used her grief um, to fight for other people in her daughter's name is nothing short of courageous and spectacular. And we need more Amy Villelas to use their pain to do some good in the world. She's an activist. She's been out there on the ground. She continues to do it. And now she is running for office. And it takes a lot of courage to say that you're running to buck an entire system that is hell bent on keeping us from having universal health care in this country. The commodification of health care is killing people. There are studies out there that shows right now, for example, even in the pandemic, I know that a million people or so have died in this country because of COVID. Had they had universal health care, we could have saved a lot more lives. And so just think about a government that is so callous that even in the face of a global pandemic, that we don't have leaders on the federal level to muster enough courage, 
care and concern for the American people to implement universal health care in the same way that this country got shots in arms, and that was good, is the same process that could have been used to have universal health care in the United States of America. But you know why we don't have it? It's because the owner donors are in control. That's why we don't have it. And it takes people like Amy, myself, and others, and, and big ups to you, Katie, and other in the independent media who go stand up and tell the truth about this, that not having universal health care is a policy decision. And leaders can make a different decision. We need the masses of people in this country to rise up and say that we deserve so much better. Just as Amy laid out is that her husband, and that in Brazil, they have universal health care. In every industrialized nation on the face of the earth, they have universal health care. But there's something about Americans where we allow our leaders to lullaby us into thinking that one, we can't have it, and two, that we don't deserve it. And you need more leaders who have the courage to say no. That's not the way that it should be. And that is not the way that it has to be. Hmm. Um, so, um, Senator Nina Turner, I sorry, I, I always call you SNT, so I keep saying that in my head. <laughs> no, you call me SNT, that's fine. <laughs> and I get that from great friend Brianna Joy Gray. That's uh, how I hear her <laughs> talk about you and to you. But a lot of people in the chat and a lot of people in the left in general want to know or are asking you to run again as a green or as an independent. So can you just tell people what happened this time and whether you'd consider running again for some office and not as a Democrat? I, I get the frustration. I mean, we know that the majority of people who are registered are registered as independents. That is true in my county. That is true all over the country. And there has to be what we call in my community a coming to Jesus moment in this country about which side these elected leaders are on. We, for now, have a two-party system. The duopoly is very strong, and we know how strong it is. And so there comes a point where justice, freedom-fighting progressives like myself and Amy, um, there are some decisions that are going to have to be made. I mean, do we allow the corporatists within the Democratic Party to push us out, or do we stay in there and fight? knowing the cost to us for fighting on the inside. That is a question that has to continue to be asked again and again. I will say that I truly understand the, 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 the push to run green, the push to run independent, the push to start another party. I understand where people are coming from and, and I hear where they're coming from, Katie. I'm not you know, prepared tonight to answer that question directly, but what I will say is that there must be transformation within the Democratic Party. Hell, with the Republican Party too. I mean, let's not let the Republicans off the hook either. We, we can't do that. We can't let them off the hook either. Two parties and neither one of these parties are answering the cries of the people. And so something has to be done about that. So I receive, I receive the message. I hear it. I'm not going to do what a lot of Democrats do, which is to dismiss how people are feeling. Those feelings are very real and they are strong because material conditions for people are not changing. And Einstein already defined insanity. He said he's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a damn different result. So I, I receive what people are saying. Even though I'm not answer, you know, I don't have a direct answer right now, but I receive it. I just want people to know I'm not ignoring what they're saying. I get why they're saying that. And what is next for you? You know, I'm going to travel over the country. You know, my speech that I made on that night that uh, the corporatists purchased the seat, you know, they had, they had rented it. They, they, they rented it in uh, 2021. They sure enough bought it in 2022. 
So that's that. And the reason why I say that is that the level of money that came into this race two weeks uh, before Election Day, uh, over $3 million, you have a cryptocurrency oligarch drop a million of his own dollars through a super PAC, which he's doing that all over the country, by the way. I want my sisters and brothers and family and friends and frenemies to understand that. And then you had a a, a oil baroness uh, drop money into the DMFI pack to the tune of two million dollars, of which a million of it of that they spent here. I mean, Katie, I, I mean, I'm telling you, the super packs was popping up. I mean, every time I went to the mailbox, it was a new super pack. I mean, they were create super packs, you know, all the way from that to the president of the United States jumping into this race. On one hand, a lot of people who support me say S and T. That's how much they fear you. So I guess my black girl magic must be something else because they brought the full force and, and weight on me in a district that is a strong Democratic district. It was just a matter of which type of Democrat won. And the establishment really showed through their their force that they will do anything, and I mean anything, to stop freedom-fighting progressives like myself. Look at what happened to India Walton. Look what happened to Senator Sanders by way of another example, both in 16 and also in 2020. So I will say to the movement itself, we got some decisions to make. Either we are going to coalesce and coalesce very strongly, or we're going to let the corporatist boss us around and tell us what to do. Either we're going to show up for one another, or we are not. And that's not just to the elected leaders on the federal level in particular, but also the movement, Katie, has a decision to make us too. And also these these, uh, organizations, these progressive organizations also have have, have a decision to make too. Is it more important to get invited to the Christmas party? Or are you going to stand up and fight the neoliberals, the corporatists who have no problem coalescing their power and their strength when it comes to fighting against us? But somehow as progressives, we got a problem with coalescing to fight them. Mm. Um, and do you want do you have anything to any comments or any insights into the um, Congressional Progressive Caucus? Um, as people may know, they endorsed you during your first race. Um, the second race, they did not endorse you. They endorsed your opponent, Chantal Brown, who joined the um, CPC, the Congressional uh, Progressive Caucus. But she also joined the centrist New Democrat Coalition, which is a funny combination of things to join. Um, were you surprised by their decision to endorse her? Yeah, I was. And, you know, Representative Jayapal has since answered, and I think it was in a Punchbowl article, Katie, which I'm sure you probably read already, kind of rethinking how the CPC is structured. And I want to thank the the movement for doing that. That didn't just happen by happenstance. The pressure that was put on the CPC for that ridiculous decision, and it was a ridiculous decision. I'm not just any other candidate. I am a prominent leader in this movement. I've been fighting for the issues that the Progressive Caucus says that it stands for, even without being actively elected at this moment, because the mission is too important not to fight for Medicare for all, for canceling student debt, for a Green New Deal. And the person that they endorsed actually had the backing of entities that are the antithesis of the things that the Progressive Caucus says that it stands for. So for on one end, a very disappointed and shocked that they made that endorsement. On the other hand, uh, really glad to see, uh, not certainly not jumping for joy, but certainly glad to see a rethinking of that and whether or not the way that the CPC endorses should be changed. And what Congresswoman Jayapal reflected on in the punch bowl is that maybe they should wait, you know, six months to a year. I think she said six to 12 months 
to allow somebody into the caucus. Maybe they should look into other forces that are donating to that candidate, the forces that are coalescing to help a candidate win an election. Maybe maybe they ought to take a look at those things. And to that, I say amen, because if the Congressional Progressive Caucus is just going to be like the status quo caucuses, then there is no difference. They all need to unite then if that's what it's going to be. But if the Progressive Caucus is going to show itself to be different, which is very much in the spirit of what happened in 2016 when Senator Bernie Sanders ran, what happened in 2020, and that whole buildup of both a movement, but also those who are elected on the progressive side, being able to have what we would call an inside and outside game. See, everybody, the corporatists can do a different thing, but the progressive caucus has to do a new thing. That is what it is there to do. And it has to make a decision. Uh, is it going to kowtow and bend the knee to uh, status quo corporatist dems, or is it going to stand up for the people and a movement that is there to help catapult this nation to a whole nother level that changes material conditions, that fights against the status quo mentality. So the CPC has a lot of questions to, to answer. And if they just gonna let anybody join, then, you know, again, maybe they need to rethink their existence in that way. Right. Well, um, I also want to say that the... Um DMFI, uh, which is an APAC-aligned uh, group, uh, really went after you and smeared you. And I think your yeah. biggest your biggest um, crime maybe was t- when you tweeted that solidarity is a verb. Um, hmm. And uh, here, let me just show this. Uh, Brad, could we, could we just show this? Um, Brad, I'm going to text you the link. And I'll also put in the chat. But this is something that... SNT tweeted out, um, and I think it's sentiments like these that are so threatening to certain people. Like, Brad, let me know if you got that. Well, it's also uh, about having the courage to speak the truth, too, and to really reflect the pain that people are feeling in this country. And I do that without apology. When people want to know what kind of Democrat I am, because, you know, they they made it clear the status quo Dems made it clear that I'm not their kind of Democrat. And I'm glad because I'm not. I fall. I am in the spirit of Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, unbought and unbossed. And so I am going to speak a certain truth and channel the pain unapologetically that the working class people, that the poor, the working poor and barely middle class people are feeling in this country. And that's not prim and proper. That's not about clutching pearls and tightening ties. That is about people losing their lives and their livelihoods while some people, far too many people in Congress play games. That is really what this is about, Katie. And I know Amy knows exactly what I'm talking about. We ain't got to, Amy just told a riveting story that is real about what happened to her daughter that happens to millions of people across this country. So are we supposed to be cool, calm, and collected about it? Or are we supposed to show the requisite emotion behind this kind of system that leaves people to die? Yeah. Um, and here, here is the, the, the criminal tweet that I was referring to, which is, um, SNT tweeting solidarity is a solidarity is a verb, which is um, uh, and you tweeted if not now, if not thou. By by the way, is a Jewish organization that represents, interestingly enough, 
the mainstream Jewish position on Israel-Palestine because APAC and DMFI pretend that they represent Jews. And uh, as just one of the many Jews out there, uh, I can say that they don't represent me. Um, but they tweeted, now American Jews are joining with Palestinians and others in front of the State Department to say, uh, save Shekharek and, and Shejara, sorry, and end apartheid. The Jewish moral tradition demands action. So I think that I know that that was very upsetting um, for people who who really are upset by the view that Palestinians are human beings. So if you upset those people, that's a good sign. I mean, the only thing I stand for is justice and security for both peoples. Yeah, that's the only thing that I've ever said, you know, justice and security for Israelis, justice and security for Palestinians that both people need to have justice and security for either people to have justice and security. And I do believe in a two-state solution, if that's what they want. If they come up with another solution, I support that solution too. But we know that both peoples must come together to find a solution that allows both of them to thrive and to live a really, really good life. And as you laid out, Katie, as someone of Jewish descent, most Jewish people feel that way, that it must be both at the same time. One can't have it without the other. I mean, that, and, and, and I think that the United States of America can play a pivotal role, not certainly not the only role, but a pivotal role in helping both peoples come to that so that they both are secure, that both people are living a good and thriving lives. That is all I have ever said. That is what I stand for. And, and that is what I believe. Well, any final words about what's next for you or about Amy and her campaign? Well, you know, Amy, my sister, I support uh, Amy Valella. I'm so glad that she is back in the ring as well. The point that she made about we can't give up. Look, we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. When the other side has the force of so much money, uh, so much corporate power, you know, when, the, when, the, when too many members of Congress are bought and sold, uh, the progressive movement has to work that much harder. So I know it can be discouraging because we do want to win some battles. There is no doubt about it. We want to win some races. We're not running these races to lose. We're running these races to win. And by the way, I was winning because if I were not winning, they wouldn't have brought that muscle in here the way that they did. They know that I was winning both the first time and the last time. And you see what it took for the other side to win. I mean, that that's what it takes. That's what they do. And so I want the progressive, the freedom fighting progressive side to understand that we got to put it all on the line too. And we got to be willing to be uh, strategic. And we also have to be willing to coalesce for one another uh, when it counts. Uh, For Amy, again, I'm glad that she has the courage of her convictions, that she is doing this again, that she is making a sacrifice of time that she could be, you know, with her family energy, she could be spending on just her family because she's looking out for other people's families. And I'm asking the people who are listening to this, who are watching us uh, tonight, to please go to Amy Valella, amy.vegas slash Katie, and please make a donation to her campaign. If you can come into Las Vegas and volunteer on her behalf, please do that. She needs time, talent, and treasure. We need more people power. And don't be so discouraged by the fact that dark money and super PACs had to come in to even allow that other person to win. That's how they won, okay? Understand this. They didn't win on their own. They won because of those forces. Don't let what happened to me happen to Amy. That is one way. And we have several other progressive candidates, you know, running right now. We got Summer Lee, you know, their whole host 
of other progressive candidates running across the country. So we do have to make sure that we come together and we support the candidates that have enough courage to speak a certain type of truth and to put something on, on the line for what is just right and good. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. My resolve is strengthened. And so I will be coming to a state near you. I am going to travel all over this country to galvanize the movement and remind people that not only are we stronger together, that you deserve much better than what you are getting and that we can be a force, a people power force that changes the tide. We must do it because what is what is the other alternative? If we do nothing, that's exactly what the other side wants. And so I do get that there are some, Katie, on the progressive side who feel as though we should opt out. I mean, I've heard that, like, get out of electoral politics. I understand it, even though I don't agree with it, because that is exactly what the power structure wants us to do, to be so discouraged, so frustrated that you totally throw up your hands and you say, I'm out of here. If we out of here, then they get to do these horrible things unabated. But if we stand up and fight for Medicare for all, fight to cancel student debt, fight to make sure that women get their whole damn dollar, fight for women's reproductive health, fight to change a legal system that is 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 unjust in every single way, and on and on and on, fight to save Mother Earth. We, we just can't let them just get away with this stuff without a fight. So I want people to do it, even if they're discouraged and even if they're mad as hell, but for the love of God, please. Do not give up and give in in a way that takes you off of this assignment. We got to fight like the generations who came before us. That's, that's what we must do. And that's what I believe. And Katie, that's why I'm going to travel all over this country to remind folks to awaken some sleeping giants in this country. So come 2024, we good and ready. Does that mean you're going to be running for something? Well, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I'm traveling the country. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Senator Nina Turner. Oh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Amy, I love you, darling. Same here. All right. In the immortal words of Fred Hampton, like all power. Power to the people, baby. Until next time, Katie. Please come back. We'd love to have you again. I will. Thank you. Great. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. That was great. So, Amy, I wanted to ask you about something that you tweeted about the other day, which was that you had a very moving thread about Roe v. Wade and why abortion is a personal issue for you. Could you share with people what you tweeted about? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm one of the one in four women that had to make that difficult decision. Um, you know, I was um, in a, a very bad relationship and needed, and I was a single mom and uh, was actually planning to travel across the country to, to escape that relationship. And, you know, I had to make that decision um, and it was very difficult. It was not taken lightly. And, you know, to remain silent and sit on the sidelines while so many other women are going to have that option taken away from them, it's not something I can do. You know, um, we need to be bold about um, about issues that are going to be important to many people. And, and I see a real lack of boldness on this. And this is something we have to be bold on. And, you know, it's, it's scary regardless of how you feel about abortion. You know, the foundation for the rights to us have, to have an abortion are based on our rights to privacy. And once that's in jeopardy, so is the right to have birth control, the right to marry who you want, regardless of their race or their gender, and so many other rights. Um, it's something we have to be talking about and, and using, you know, our voices to put a face to these, these situations. And uh, it's time for them to get out of our uterus. 
And so are you disappointed in what the Democratic Party is doing now on the national level? I think we've lost a lot of opportunities to actually fight for this. I mean, again, it comes down to the level of boldness and the, le- the amount of political capital that you're willing to expand uh, expend on the issues. Um, we have seen there's been there's been many times that we could have taken additional steps, and right now is one of those times. We need to be fighting with bold- boldness at, on every level with this. And what about Joe Biden? How do you see his handling of this? You know, I, I am disappointed to hear that, you know, that his stance is that we, you know, we chastising the protesters. Well, this is uh, this is our rights. It's our body. And we have a right to voice as loud as we can um, and make sure that we don't lose those rights. This is. They have no business, you know, even determining what should be between us and our doctor. Um, and this is something that's worth raising our voices. Um, and we, I'm filled with righteous indignation about it. We should, this should not even be something that we're discussing. And really what we need to do is we need to codify it into law. Can you tell us about your opponent and what some of the differences are between you and your opponent? So there's lots of differences between her and I. Uh, my opponent has been in for, um, you know, over about a decade. And uh, she doesn't even meet the bare minimum of being on the Progressive Caucus. <laughs> Um, and when it comes to the issues, you know, it, it comes down to what kind of leader do we want? And, you know, uh, I am someone who is a very loud um, advocate for a Green New Deal. Um, she does not support that bill. I am not taking any corporate PAC money. I am uh, someone who's out here actively on the ground using every tool I have available to me to fight for Medicare for all. Um, and I have that lived experience that I think is so necessary. You know, how do you know how to fight someone if you can't even relate um, so this, to me, is something that we have to be, you know, we have to have more of that in Congress. Um, there's a real lack of enthusiasm in this district. Uh, this was the, the strong, made uh, dis- district that was made to be the Democratic stronghold of the state of Nevada. And, uh, you know, cycle after cycle, whether it's uh, a midterm or it's the general, uh, my opponent has delivered consistently 20,000 fewer votes than her Democratic um, you know, counterparts of the North District, which is a GOP stronghold. And it's really is an indicative of uh, indicative of what's happening here in Nevada. We have seen, um, you know, our Democrats here are ready for uh, progressive change and policies. We saw that with the landslide victory for Bernie here in um, 2020. And we've continued to organize and mobilize um, those uh relationships that were developed uh, for that run. And uh, we've even gone as far as being able to take over the Democratic Party here, the state party, with a slate of progressives. Um, so we have not stopped organizing um, around the clock to, to continue uh, you know, advancing and uh, so we can be in a position to have a very bold and, and outspoken progressive in Congress. How do you react to what Nina Turner went through? I mean, seeing how much the Democratic Party turned on her or didn't turn on her because that which suggests she was, I mean, she was a state senator, but seeing this all out coordinated attack on her, is it discouraging? Does it make you fight harder? Did you take away any lessons from it? I mean, of course it's discouraging. I mean, I'm, I'm very close to, to Nina. Um, and but here's the thing, they want us to be discouraged. Um, that, that would, that's the easy way out to be discouraged and hold up. And if we have to think back to, 
you know, any fight that we've taken on that's massive and what we're taking on right now, don't, don't be, don't misunderstand. This is a massive fight. We are taking on, you know, uh, moneyed interest, corporations, lobbyists, uh, special interest, um, you know, any fight that we've had that's, that's worth fighting for has, you know, is, a, is hard. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen with one election result. It happens by us continuously to keep on punching out until we break through the barriers. And that's where, you know, I, I see us here in, in Nevada. We have a very different district. Um, remember, this state carried Bernie uh, and it won by a landslide here in Nevada. Um, we are ready to, t- to take that on. We are ready to take it to the polls and to, to elect, you know, elect me in, in, uh, in June. Um, so this, they have, we have a real opportunity. This is the right race at the right time. And, and we're, we are seeing the, the excitement on the ground. We're seeing it with voters. Um, but we do know that, that, that that's, you know, there are going to be outside interests. Um, some of the same groups that came after her have, you know, named me as somebody they're looking into. So, um, but we, we have a really, um, really good response here on the ground. And uh, we're, we're keeping steady and looking forward to the primary here in June. And what happened to the Democratic Party in Nevada? Well, they got very upset. Um, we we organized and uh, we did exactly what we were told, you know, that if you want to make change that you need to, you know, be involved and 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 work within the party. And that's exactly what we did. Um, we organized it. Did, again, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen, you know, uh, easily. We had to keep at it. We couldn't give up hope. We couldn't get discouraged. I mean, we had to keep fighting this. Uh, and it took, took a while, but, um, once we did get in office, they, they really, um, found it difficult to give over the keys and, uh, and took the money out of, out of the state party and transferred it when they realized they were going to lose. Um, but we were able to raise the money back and then some. So again, you know, this, this isn't a, a short time, uh, you know, short-lived fight. We cannot get discouraged. We cannot give up. We cannot wait for the right opportunity, the right time, the right circumstances, or even the right party. We have to be in this fight for the people. We have to be in this fight for the policy and for the change. That is what I am. I am a candidate for the working class. I am a candidate who's going to go in and fight for the people. And we can see that excitement really uh, revving up our Democrats here in this district. And it's giving them a reason to get to the polls again and vote. And any other final things that you want to share with people? You know, this this really is, um, I hope that you'll, you'll uh, come and support my campaign. We need to have support right now. Um, we are in the most critical part of our campaign where we're getting ready to do the final push. This is a winnable race. And, uh, you know, we have a chance to really um, take this to, to Washington, D.C., I'd love for you to visit my my website and and to donate. It's at amy.vegas slash Katie. Um, again, this this is a race to to invest in. We have uh, our win number is only twenty five thousand votes at the high end, so your dollars go a lot longer in this race. Um, and you know, I'm going to be someone who is going to be a champion for the people. My why is very strong. I know why I'm in this. It's what keeps me going and keeps me fighting. Um, and I am very excited to get in there and just and to make some change. 
Well, thank you so much and really appreciate your coming on, talking to us and also talking to Nina Turner and looking forward to seeing how your race turns out. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Bye, Amy. Bye. That was great. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. This was great. I forgot to announce that I'm doing a call-in after this, which you can join, where we will be taking your questions. And I will put that link in the description. So I will be there taking your questions. Brad will be there too. I just put the link in. I'll put it in the description as well. People are saying, talk to us, Katie. Brad, can you come on the show now? Let's see if Brad can come on. I think he's saying he is not shaking his head. No. Oh, Brad, thank you for coming. Oh, you're very welcome. How are you doing? Oh, I'm recuperating from COVID. And so, you know, there's that, but uh, avoided it for two plus years. And then within a week of them dropping the masking, that happened. But um, happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And Brad... Speaking of masking, we were talking about that tweet, that Ken Klippenstein tweet. Do you have that handy? Oh, yes. I thought people would want to see this. And by the way, I already knew he had COVID. So if I look like I wasn't being sufficiently responsive to him, that's why. Because I already knew that. I, I wouldn't be that blasé about it if I didn't know. That's right. Yeah. Let me pull this up. Here it is. So this is great, guys. Ken Klippenstein tweets out last month versus today. So let's look at the first screenshot. Fact sheet, Biden administration underscores urgent need for additional COVID-19 response funding and the severe consequences of congressional inaction. That's from April 27th. So that was like two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks ago. And then fast forward to this week, Biden saying, previously, I had recommended that Congress take overdue action on much needed funding for COVID treatments, vaccines, and tests as part of the Ukraine supplemental bill. However, I've been informed by congressional leaders in both parties that such an addition would slow down action on the urgently needed Ukrainian aid, a view expressed strongly by several congressional Republicans. We cannot afford delay in this vital war effort. Hence, I am prepared to accept that these two measures move separately so that the Ukrainian aid bill can get to my desk right away. Doesn't this kind of have the divorcing of Build Back Better from the corporate giveaway infrastructure energy. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's a little bit more sorted in this case because it's actually something that is escalating a war using Ukrainians as cannon fodder in a proxy war. Right. So very much on the side of death over health. I guess I just meant in the sense like we don't have a good track record of things being separated like right. this. Right, very much so. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, I wonder what'll happen there. Yeah, right. How are we going to pay for it is never applied to war, just to public health. And it's just so unbelievably frustrating. I know I'm preaching to the choir to be frustrated with the stagnation and endless inaction And then just to see these examples of when they want to, things can happen very, very quickly. They can come together and pass things right away. But then it just seems like whenever it's for the people, suddenly there's all this debate and hand-wringing and how are we going to pay for it? And maybe a silver lining, I don't know how much of it, is that it seems like every time that this happens, the amount of the population that recognizes it and becomes angry by it seems to increase, though it's yet to be seen 
what actually we can do with that. I mean, I'm all for people becoming more aware and being upset by it. But then the question is, okay, now what? Well, I agree. And I thought that Caitlin Johnston had a great tweet summarizing this. If we can pull that up. So it says, all Americans need to really deeply ingest the fact that their government is currently decoupling COVID relief funding from Ukraine proxy war funding because it wants to make sure that its Ukraine proxy war funding actually passes. Really sit with what that says about everything. Mm -hmm. And I'll just pull up an example of what Joe Biden, in these last few days, I looked at his timeline and what he has been tweeting about and and things like that. And um, let me see if I can... No, StreamYard's not letting me share a preview window. So anyway, I can say that uh, his his tweet was referring to the Republicans as his friends and reaching across the aisle and talking about focusing on deficit reduction and just this unending focus on the only positive metric that is available to him, which is the unemployment numbers which I thought, just to remind viewers, if they saw the excellent interview recently with Professor Richard Wolf, I really liked the way that he described that as akin to if your entire body hurts and you go to the doctor and they just take your temperature and they see that you don't have a fever and then they just declare that you're healthy and they send you home. Like That's not the only metric by which you gauge how a society is doing. But the reason why he focuses on that is because everything else is not positive. But it's, it's just astonishing that his timeline in the last couple of days has made no mention of either supporting people's rights to protest the Supreme Court's decisions. Or I mean, I, I saw another post of his a few days ago announcing an initiative regarding 3D printing. Like, what the... And I also saw someone mention like the cost of what they're he is just now approving to be sent to Ukraine now is more than enough to house all of the unhoused in America. I don't know about you, Katie, but it just seems to me like these don't seem to be the actions of a healthy functioning government when they react to citizens wanting redress of their grievances and their reaction isn't to address those grievances, but to increase the amount of security around the judges or increase funding to police. That just seems like that's not a signal of a healthy society in my view. Well, I agree. Strong agree. And you guys, I want to thank you all for coming by. We're going to do this call-in. Uh, Brad's going to be on the call-in, too. We're going to have a very exciting show next week. Do I want to tease who it is? I don't know who it is. Christian Smalls. Awesome. So come back for Chris Smalls next week. And thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. And thank you guys so much for subscribing. We're going to get to 100K soon. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. 
Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.